It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! Woohoo! <laughs> and this week, I am very honored to have a dear friend and a great guest, Mr. Dave Cool from Banzoogle! Hey, everyone. Hey, Michael. Good to see you. Hey, Dave. Great to see you. Let me get the chat room open so I can say hello to all the people in there. Hello, gang. How are you guys? Hope you all had a great weekend. Um, so, Dave Cool. I've known Dave for, I don't know, 15 years probably now, if that's even possible. But uh, I knew him when he was the T-boy at Banzoogle. And now look at him. He's <laughs> vice president of business development. Um, you've probably met Dave at the Road Rally if you've attended because they've been a sponsor for many years, which we appreciate. And Dave, he's, he's one of you guys. He's, uh, he's, he's not just affable and, you know, like easy to talk to, but he's super duper knowledgeable. Did I just say super duper? <laughs> he's very knowledgeable <laughs> about all things related to musicians. Um, I, I was telling him before we went live on the show that, uh, Virtually every freaking time I look at a taxi member's personal website, uh, I, I can tell that they built it with Banzoogle. And uh, I, I don't think we've ever had a sponsor that so many of our members have, you know, used the product and love it. People like it. If I go, oh, I see your site was made uh, with Banzoogle, they go, oh, yeah, I love it. So good <laughs> on you and the rest of the team over there for building something that makes it so easy that people that are tech phobic can build a website. Yay. Appreciate that very much. And appreciate all the members uh, who have joined and, and who have met uh, over the years at Taxi. It's we we're chatting before. It's it's my favorite conference. I love the community. I love the people. I miss you guys this this past year. It was kind of is very sad to not uh, be able to go. But uh, yeah, it's nice to finally catch up and, and talk and, um, you know, it's uh it's a strange time in the music industry but uh we're seeing some inspiring things happening you know online and you know musicians are a creative bunch and they're still finding ways to uh to make money and earn a, earn a living which is which is the topic of today's yeah, show it is technically called <laughs> how musicians are making money during the pandemic um can i get you scoot back a little dave you're you're back yep. in the big head with you there you go there you go <laughs> <laughs> so you know uh, because you are so out there normally at all the conferences and i mean I, I will see you constantly chatting to musicians and stuff and i know you've built a huge network of, of musicians um tell me about some of these creative ways that you've seen them make money because i i've seen a lot of people thinking about it and not actually doing it so i want to hear about the people that are doing it and doing it well sure so i guess i'll start then uh with your website like a lot of uh like you mentioned like there's a lot of taxi members that use Banzoogle and we're super appreciative and you know Banzoogle has over 55,000 members wow and you know when the pandemic hit and things shut down and there were no more live shows um you know <laughs> there's that, obviously that initial shock we have a lot of members that you know had tours booked and were releasing albums and had supporting shows and all that so we saw some real inspiring creative things happening uh, when we dove into the data and started talking to our members and we released a, an infographic back in i guess it would have been october just looking back at how 
our members at Bainzoogle were generating uh, revenue strictly through their website. And we'll get into, there's obviously lots of ways to, to make money uh, with your music um, outside of your website, but just through your website, you know, we saw a spike in digital music sales. So MP3s, WAV files, you know, digital albums, digital tracks, singles, things like that. And, you know, in a world that's dominated by the streaming conversation of like everything's on Spotify or Apple Music, you know, I, I, Michael, I can't tell you for sure if these millions of dollars of sales, you know, all these fans were downloading those tracks and putting them on a device. I doubt it, but they were, supporting the artist by buying their music um so they're probably still streaming the music on their favorite platform but the musicians that are offering a way uh, for their fans to support them financially by offering digital music um, making it pay what you can or pay what you want is a popular um, way to kind of incentivize well give the option for your fans to give you more and we've actually applied that same philosophy to other areas of, of the platform. But, you know, I've definitely, from my own experience, I mean, I've paid $20 for a single track because I loved it so much. And I I just like, here, if you're going to give me the option, give me 20 bucks, I'll give you 20 bucks. If you're going to tell me it's 99 cents, I'll give you 99 cents. <laughs> but yeah. you know, some might take it for free or for the minimum price or whatever, but um, you'd be surprised um, how generous some fans can be, um, especially at a time like this. So. Selling music tracks, you know, um, we saw a spike there. Merch was the biggest, has been the biggest, um, you know, CDs, vinyl, shirts, hats, mugs, stickers, all that fun stuff. Um, you know, just between March and August, almost $4 million in merch sales for Van Zugel members. I mean, it's... Whoa. Yeah. It's That's incredible. Much higher now. Yeah, and we're, we're doing... You report soon to release the latest numbers but that was as of august can you say which items are the top three sellers i don't know that for sure um if i were to take an educated guess it would probably be cds and t-shirts um vinyl is a little bit more still niche i would think um with our members but um but a lot of cds a lot of t-shirts and um it was we were blown away i mean by how many millions of merch was sold and so we just launched actually officially last week uh an integration with printful which is a print-on-demand company so it's another option for banzoogle members to sell merch if you don't want to buy the merch up front and have an have an inventory to have to take care of printful just does everything print on demand so you set up the merch fan buys it they print it fulfill it ship it to the fan so that's exciting so it's a it's a no risk or low risk way to sell merch through your website so we're we've we're actually been using printful we just came out with taxi merch again we had it years ago but uh right before the road rally this year we came out with like hoodies, t-shirts, baseball tees, and mugs. And surprisingly, which was the reason I asked you, our mugs sell like hotcakes and yeah. they're not cheap for a mug. I mean, and we barely make any profit. I think we make like $2 a mug or something on it, but they're like, I wanna say, I could be wrong about this, but I wanna say they're like 12 bucks, 13 bucks or something for a mug. And yep. I always chuckle. It's like, who really needs another mug in their house? But I guess people buy it because they're attached to the brand of taxi, which would be makes your point for people buying stuff just to say, hey, throwing a little love your way, 
band that I love. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're fully expecting to see a, another spike in merch sales with that integration because you can just create a bunch of custom merch and you don't have to worry if it doesn't sell and you're going to have a ton of inventory that you paid for. It's just, it doesn't sell, but it, whatever yeah. does sell gets printed and, and fulfilled. So we're excited about that. So that was the biggest a revenue stream for our members so far um, since the pandemic hit. Um, mm. Next up is live stream ticket sales. So right when things shut down, we have a built-in, I should mention um, all the sales. If you're a Banzoogle member, you probably know this, but just in case you don't, um, any sale that happens through your website, whether it's digital music, merch, tickets, crowdfunding, uh, sub monthly subscriptions from your fans, it's all commission-free. So we don't take right. any so, which is amazing yeah like we're like it's a bandsicle's a premium product you pay a monthly subscription whether it's 10 15 or 20 dollars a month but you get the hosting you get your domain name you get all the design tools you get the e-commerce um and then we don't take anything more than that there's no extra cost for support or switching it theme or template or design and there's no commission on sales so we launched we already had built-in ticketing um so the first thing we launched was an, a simple way to refund unfortunately to refund tickets for shows because people yeah. just have to do it quickly um and then we added functionality to put like a zoom link with a password on the ticket that fans get in the email that goes to fans so that you could sell tickets to your live streams and provide the link and a password if needed and hundreds of thousands of dollars of live stream tickets were sold like we I was a little bit surprised by that to be honest because you know if you're on any kind of social media those first few months you couldn't log into Instagram or Facebook <laughs> with, you know, like 20 notifications of you know this many bands are live or are so live which is great like everyone's doing what they need to do you know to engage with their fans and but uh, I was like are people going to pay for this um and they definitely fans definitely were and are and continue to um and we've seen our you know our members do themed shows where it's like they're going to play uh one particular album and it's going to be you know ticketed and it's intimate and you'll be able to interact with the artists and things like that um so that was um a very nice surprise and tips donations we launched a, a tip jar like a very simple tip jar feature uh again commission free so fans could donate whatever amount they wanted so the idea there was if you are going to do uh, Facebook or Instagram live streams that you point the you can put a link in your uh, bio for Instagram, you could put a link um, in the description for the live show on Facebook, and I think pin a comment to the top. And we were encouraging our members just put a link to your website that has this tip jar on it. And the thing is like, it, and you see, you know, you see a lot of artists putting their PayPal email or Venmo, which is which is cool. But, you know, if you bring people to your website, all of a sudden, maybe you can collect their email address. Maybe they'll buy some merch on the same page or some music on the same page that you've sent them to with that donation button. And the um, most inspiring example of this, we have a, a member called Enter the Haggis. And they're one of these, one of many artists that I'm sure had an album ready. They were going to release it like... Mm. In March, and they had a <laughs> March twenty fourth. <laughs> they had a North American tour booked, festival oh, date, the whole nine yards. This is a band that's pretty established. They've they've got a you know they've got a fan base, and everything everything fell through. Every gig got canceled, and you know oh, it took them about a week. Like that shock of oh, what do we do now? 
And so what they did wow. was so creative and they decided, you know, the, the hashtag on social media, throwback Thursdays, like people, yeah. like old photos or whatever. So they did the, every two weeks, they didn't do it every week, but every two weeks they did a throwback Thursday live stream where they did a listening party going, for, they have a pretty extensive discography. So they went from their first album leading all the way up to their new release. So they did this with each one of their albums. And not only did they do the listening party, they pre-recorded interviews with the band members, talking about the songwriting process, the studio experience of each album. So it was really like a well-produced event every two weeks where their fans could get insight into every single one of this band's albums. And they put a link that across the video, they had a banner, they had a link in the description, sending fans to their website that had the tip jar and then the album for sale that was being played that night. Yeah. And they made over, so they did, I forget how many, must've been six or seven of these live streams leading up to the new album. They did a big listening party for the new album, but they generated over $15,000 doing these live streams. I mean, it, they told me it wasn't enough to make up for the lost revenue from tour, but yeah. it helped. It certainly helped. That's mostly donations, some merch, some music, of course. But you know, we were seeing not we were seeing going through the data. I mean, donations ranging from five bucks to thousands of dollars. You're kidding. You you never know who your fans are and how much they can afford to support you unless you put it out there and give them the option to choose. Like if you put your again going back to the music, you you make your album ten dollars and your tracks a dollar. That's cool. You'll get ten dollars and a dollar. But if you give people the option to give you more, you might see something pretty amazing. So, looking through the data, it was it, the average tip between March. I guess it would have been April and August. The average donation was forty-two dollars. The average, wow. which is much higher than we were expecting. I, I remember, probably in May or June some band in it could have been a taxi member band and i saw about heard about it on their band zoogle site but they decided that they were going to do their their nightly sessions that they were all working actually they were nightly sessions because they all had day jobs and they were working on a new album and then when the pandemic hit they said you know what let's do this remotely and see if we can pull it off and they got the tech together and it worked really really well and they said why don't we invite our audience to watch us every night making this record and take audience input do you like the high harmony part or should we have three-part harmony should we double track it and, and and they actually had a chat room set up for this and of course i i was in there under another name but i'm like double track it and uh throw like a three quarter of a second plate delay on it and they're like what <laughs> but they did the same thing they they put up a tip jar and every night for like a month they did it and apparently they did really well so i you know i never would have dreamed that people would tip better than they would buy a ticket let's say that's a yeah. 10 or 20 dollar ticket that uh, yeah. wow it's pretty amazing stuff. I mean, it's obviously not everyone, but you know, the, we saw enough success stories and just looking through the data, you're like, there's some very generous people out there that clearly are, you know, trying to support musicians during what is, you know, pretty difficult time. If you're a performing musician, you know, it's, uh, you know, some of them, that's their full-time job. That's, you know, they gig, they, 
whether it's in a cover band or like weekly gigs or whatever, or if they're touring. So, um, you know, we've seen a lot of musicians have to pivot online and, and kind of um, establish their online presence and their online business in a way, um, which is, you know, when this is all over, hopefully very soon, you know, for all the musicians that took this time and were productive and, and if they didn't have a website, they set up a, like we saw, uh, you know, a lot of new members joining Bandzoogle and getting their website set up for the first time and selling merch and music for the first time. And what's great about it is when this is all over and you go back to gigging, if you're a performing musician, you've got that online business set up now. Yeah. And so, so that, that, revenues there and you can keep you know generating it and then you can go on the road and that leads me to the next revenue stream we saw hundreds of thousands of dollars in fan subscriptions so this is like that patronage model of a fan subscribes to a band so we have that built into bandzoogle where you charge a monthly fee and you offer exclusive content um or early access to content so um the most common i would say is you know we see our members offering their full discography that you can download or stream on a gated page you have to be a subscriber um you get maybe discounts on merch and they'll do like a live a private subscriber only live stream once a month something like that and like five bucks a month ten bucks a month you know you get access to all these things but we've seen you know a lot of musicians try this revenue stream out for the first time during the pandemic and do some really creative things. I mean, I wrote a blog post a couple of years ago when we launched the feature initially, it was like 71 ways you can reward your subscribers. And I never had vegan cooking classes on that list, but that's what <laughs> one of our members do because they're vegans and they love to cook. And so at one of the tiers, you can set up different tiers for different rewards. You can have like five bucks a month, you get all access to the music. You can have 20 bucks a month, you get the live streams and one of who dust the member um one of their tiers you get uh, monthly vegan cooking classes <laughs> from the band i mean and it's it's such a creative fun way to engage with your fan base um it's incredible do, yeah it's you know thinking outside of the box and thinking how to connect with your fans in, in a different way and you know i i moderated a panel with some of our members that had, had started this subscription model uh, as a because of the pandemic. And, you know, the initial reason was we had no choice. We need to generate some revenue. So they learned, you know, all about it and then launched it. And now they're excited again when this is all over to bridge that sort of exclusive online fan club with touring because you can do some really cool behind the scenes content for your subscribers who may not be able to go see you in southern you know in a certain city but you can do some videos take some photos do some exclusive things backstage that are just for your those subscribers so there'll be a way to bridge that online fan club to the, the live something something's world. going on backstage i don't think we should be able to see <laughs> i'm just saying dave <laughs> true, true. I'm, not, I'm, not, not, everything, not everything should be shared I'm, I am loving this conversation. Seriously, uh, 
I, I will make a commitment right here, right now. I'm going to write it on this piece of paper I'm taking notes on, but please remind me when we're a few months out from the next road rally, whether it's you know virtual or in person, that yeah. remains to be seen. I would love to have you reach out to some Banzoogle members and moderate a panel on, on, and do just exactly that for the rally. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, it's a really inspiring thing. Like, you know, I can sit here and, and try, to, try to teach it and, you know, explain um, the parameters of how this revenue stream, certain revenue streams work. But it's amazing to see artists um, look at something and then take it in a direction that's so creative and so unique and so make so much sense for their fans and make it work and get rewarded, you know, financially for it. So I'd love to, that'd, that'd be fun. Very few people that I will ever turn over the moderation mic to, but you would definitely be one of them. And, you know, again, it's like, you know, your constituency, like I know mine, you know, so it's not like, so tell us how you set it up. I mean, you, you know, the subject and you know, the people so well. Um, I've got to ask you because yep. my heart gets broken when I see people doing live streams and other efforts like we're talking about and they get no audience. Um, and it's very sad when you see three people in the room on a Zoom and you know that it's like the, the girlfriend, the mom and the sister or something, you know, and, and what separates the people who are successful at it, <clears throat> excuse me, from the people who aren't able to draw audience? Is it just personality and determination do they know something about marketing the others don't what makes them successful that's a good question um i think it could be part of the latter of, of you know some artists are better at marketing themselves and, and promotion and engaging with their fans you know i was talking about this recently and you know when i mentioned like live stream ticket sales like i was a little bit surprised because that's uh i think you have to have a pretty established fan base to get people to pay money to do a private live stream. Yeah. And I still believe that to a certain extent. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with at all with the model of going live, even spontaneously on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube. Um, as long as you're, you know, um, engaging with your fans and making it a good experience. And if, like that enter the haggis thing where they produced like these one hour shows to go with each one of their albums. That's an extreme example, but just making sure that and get back to your original question, like why sometimes there's only three people. I think it has to do with fan base, the size of your fan base, obviously the marketing promotion, but also frequency. You know, I saw some artists going live so often that at a certain point, it's, it's not new. It's not exciting and it kind of loses steam a little bit and so what i've been seeing more and more is artists picking and choosing and, and doing more of a build-up to a live stream rather than the off-the-cuff stuff um but i don't know if there's a perfect formula but i think a lot of it is, is fan base and and just making it a good experience uh, both performance audio quality video quality um you know interacting with your fans making it fun for them answering questions uh doing requests you know there's all sorts of things you can do to make it a, a fun experience but yeah to, to do it on zoom and only have a handful of people you know that could be tough especially if you you charge tickets or whatever but you know i saw one well-established artist uh, cap his zooms at 30 tickets he just wanted 30 people 
because he wanted to be able to interact with them all. And so he yeah. charged higher for the ticket, but had less people and they sold out his shows. And he did them, I believe, uh, every two weeks. And that was a different model that worked for him. So it, it depends on the artist, but yeah, it's, um, it can be heartbreaking to put in that effort and there's not very many people there. And, and, and it's a good opportunity to step back and, and analyze and, and take stock of what you could be doing better, I guess. Uh, you and I were at dinner one night, probably, I don't know, four years ago, maybe. And we were talking about mailing lists and at the time, social media. I mean, it was already a thing, but it was just raging at the time. And I made the point that for taxi, it's always been about our email list. That's where our best communication happens. Social media is very ephemeral. It's there one second and then gone the next. Um, do you think there's any correlation between the people you see being most successful in these various endeavors? Uh, and they're the people that were smart about building their mailing list early and, and that's part of it? You nailed it. Uh, that's funny. That's a great observation and a great question. So the artist I just mentioned who was capping his live streams has a huge email database, which he built up over years um, of giving away his music for free in exchange for an email address because he knew he could um, yeah. use that email list for life for his whole career to monetize live shows when he was touring, merch, uh, crowdfunding, that kind of thing. So that the the way I found out about his live streams was through email. And Enter the Haggis, that Van Zugel member that did those uh, Throwback Thursday live streams, I mean, they use their email list. They That's the biggest driver if you're looking. Social media is great. And I don't, I feel sometimes I, I get on a soapbox and I knock social media. It, <laughs> and I work on a website platform. So yeah, it's a bad look. But you know, social media is great for a lot of things and especially engaging with your fans and finding new fans. Um, but what it's not great for is focus and attention, which is what you need when you're asking for money <laughs> from people. And an email, yeah. dedicated email with a clear call, even if you're not looking for money, but just to take an action, a dedicated email blast to your fans who have signed up because they want to hear from you is going to be so much more effective than shouting it on Facebook that might not see it. So you got to pay so to boost it so that maybe a certain percentage of your fans see it. That email list is gold. I mean, that's the first thing we tell artists, like when you build your website, get it like your main call to action on the homepage should be to collect emails and find some creative way, like free tracks or exclusive tracks or something exclusive, build your mailing list. Um, you know, when we're back in the, in the live performance world again, Every show, you should be collecting emails. There's all sorts of, you can do it old school and have a sign up at your, you know, a physical sign up at your booth. You can do it through an iPad. Um, you know, make sure that everyone who's remotely interested in hearing about your career, you have their email address because, you know, those emails are worth, they're, they're gold for a musician because that you own that database. So Bandzoogle has a mailing list tool built in. Um, but if you leave Manzoogle, you take that with you. We don't own that. You own that database of fans, whereas yeah. Facebook owns that database of fans, not you. So and you can everything else they own too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you can use MailChimp, you can download from there, you can use FanBridge, whatever service. That database of fans belongs to you as the artist, which is incredibly powerful. Same thing with the website. Like Banzoogle, we power 
we're we're behind the scenes we power the back end um but you own your domain name you own your content obviously you own your emails like we're just helping you make it look good and help you uh, to have the e-commerce on your site but we don't own your domain we don't own your content we certainly don't own the emails obviously that get collected so those two things website and email it's amazing like to think that in 2021 that these things are still so relevant everybody thinks social media is the answer i just had this conversation this morning with the gentleman who cuts my hair and he's like uh, you know now that uh, our, our governor just opened up hair salons today starting at noon and i think outdoor dining and some other stuff which everybody in california is very happy about i'm sure um yeah. and he called me up and said okay you know how do i get customers back to my shop using social media and i said probably not don't you have 500 people on your email list he said yeah i said that's the way to do it and if i can um introduce something that borders on unsavory uh, <laughs> about almost a year ago or so or maybe a year and a half ago i was having problems with my lighting i really was doing taxi tv i just couldn't get the lighting right and one of our members i believe it was a member or somebody who's a regular watcher taxi tv said I know a girl who um, is a, uh, a model on a, uh, a website where many people remove articles of clothing, men, women, and probably circus animals remove articles of clothing. And there's like a grid of these people. And he said, she has lighting dialed in. I'm going to connect you guys via email. So it's like, okay, but don't tell my wife. Uh <laughs> Anyway, she was really, really nice about it. She gave me the model number, gave me the link at Amazon, which ring light she bought. And she yeah. showed me, um, she actually drew me a little sketch like on a napkin and then uh, screenshotted it and sent me a picture of how you angle the lights and if you use a softbox and the ring light. So she was great. I was really grateful. But at one point I asked her, I said, you know, look, I I've gone on the site to check out your lighting. Uh, <laughs> and I said, and you're one of the top people on the site in the subtext of that, which I did say to her was there were other people who might have had features that made them more physically attractive. I don't know any kinder way to say that, but yet she was the one with the audience. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, I think, was her personality. And when I asked her, I said, how do you build such an audience? She said, I collect email addresses because I have a personal website and I give away a still shot of myself in exchange for an email address, I send out an email half hour before I go live. Therefore, I have a big audience right out of the gate on the site. Their algorithm picks it up and shoots me right to the top half of the top page, and it just feeds on itself. So there is something to be learned in there for musicians, and it goes back to what we've been talking about, which is websites are a great way to collect email addresses. Yes, give away something for free in exchange for the email address. Yay. Yeah. Yeah, and traditionally, you know, for musicians, it's been like, give away a free track, free MP3, and we have that automated through our system. But to be perfectly honest, I don't think that's enough anymore. I think that music and streaming is so ubiquitous that a free track, you know, for an email address probably isn't enough. So I think it's got to be something exclusive. It's got to be maybe an exclusive EP, unreleased songs, a personalized video even. Like, we've seen some really creative things, like, give some value to the person who's going to give up their email address because you're going to get so much value out of them being on your list. I mean, um, pledge music, which was a crowdfunding platform that, you know, didn't, uh, didn't end well, unfortunately for, 
for a lot of artists and and obviously the company but they unfortunately didn't pay out a lot of the artists at the end but you know they had some really great data their founder uh you know who was no longer involved when all that went down um is a really you know wise wise person and really paid attention to the data when he was running the company and they figured out that 15 percent of your mailing list are your super fans mm -hmm. and those 15 percent will spend on average 55 dollars on a crowdfunding campaign let's say so you know another way another revenue stream um and we have this built in too is, is crowdfunding and i don't think crowdfunding is dead i don't know how much people pay attention to that but when pledge music you know went bankrupt and a lot of artists got screwed um you know a lot of people proclaimed that crowdfunding was dead but we we were partners with pledge for years we found out what was going on we pulled our partnership because we were approached by some of our members saying they weren't getting paid and then we launched a crowdfunding feature because we never had because we were partnered with pledge but when they we're out of the picture we launched our own because we still believe it's a great way to a engage with your fans b build up hype for the release of your new album and yeah generate revenues so you know that formula the first question i get asked is well how many email how many emails do i need on my list right. before i crowdfund i was like well let's do some you know back back of the sheet math here like if 15 percent of your list will donate you know roughly on average $55, then if you're looking to crowdfund, you know, $10,000 or more, you're starting to look at needing a list of 1,500, 2,000 people before you can start thinking about that. If you have an email list of, you know, 50 people, it's not time to crowdfund a $50,000 album. Yeah, 2,000 people, 15% of, you know, your most active, dedicated fans um, is 300. Um, where's the clear button? Okay, so 300 times 55 is 16,500. Yeah, there you go. And, and 2,000 people is, is an achievable number if you yeah. just stick with it. That's not a tough number. You know, 10,000 is tough. 50,000 is really friggin' hard. 100,000 takes years. Uh, but 2,000 in a year is probably achievable for somebody that reads. You can't just sit down and go, I'm going to do it. You've got to study everything you can on the internet, read every blog, buy every book. Somebody, and by the way, those of you in the chat room who are asking questions, um, starting at five o'clock, uh, top of the hour, we're going to open this up to Q&A. So you guys are asking some great questions. I just don't want to break the rhythm here. Um, but uh, I forgot where the hell I was going with it. It doesn't matter. And I pulled you out of, you know, you, you were kind of going down your bullet points. So do you want to go back to that? Oh, um, oh yeah, sure. I can go back to that a bit, but yeah, crowdfunding was is is another good one. Um, you know, we've had many artists crowdfund between you know three thousand bucks on a more modest level up to thirty five, forty thousand dollars through Manzool, commission free, and so that makes us happy because crowdfunding platforms take you know five, ten, fifteen percent sometimes, and so artists are doing this directly through their websites and and. The most important thing with crowdfunding, if, if you ever consider doing it, is is making sure that it's not all about raising money. Even though that's kind of what it's all about, it's not all about raising money because then it just sounds like a desperate plea for cash. <laughs> it has to be 
something that you're bringing your fans on a journey with you to um, share in the excitement of creating an album and bringing them along that journey of songwriting and studio and mastering and mixing and all that stuff that for you and I, and you're just telling me some amazing stories working in a studio, you know, for you and I, you know, we've been in studios. A lot of us, you know, I'm sure everyone watching this has been in studios. It's kind of, it's exciting, but not, you know, we've all kind of done it, but for your fans who are outside the music industry, like that's right. really cool. It's really fun. So just bring them on that journey and, and offering some really interesting, unique rewards to your fans. Um, again, starting at 10 bucks to get the, the early download of the album all the way through, you know, two grand to do a private live stream or a house concert or whatever that band enter the haggis um the ones that raised uh, all you know a lot of money doing those throwback thursday live streams they once did a crowdfunding campaign and they charged i think it was two thousand or twenty five hundred bucks there was only one available uh to get a matching tattoo with the singer so <laughs> you could choose within reason that have to be agreed, but you could choose uh, the tattoo and the singer would get the tattoo with you. Um, wow. And it went That's to commitment. A, yeah, it went to a grandmother in Ireland. And so she got a matching tattoo with the singer of the band. Um, oh, wow. so, I mean, that's really out there, but just, you know, anything interesting and unique um, that you can offer to your fans that, goes above and beyond and, and it's, you know, kind of gets them excited to, to contribute to the campaign, which is the end goal is to raise money to pay for the, for the album. But you, you want to make sure you're not framing it simply as a, as a cash grab or, you know, I really need this money, please help kind of thing. Like it, it, it will likely fall flat. Um, in that case, you really got to make sure that the messaging is positive and that you're, you know, it, it, because it also helps even if people don't contribute to your crowdfunding campaign, the people that are following along, like it, it just builds up hype for the release. Like, you know, you're, yeah. it's kind of extended pre-release, you know, like you do the crowdfunding, then you do an official pre-order. So anyone that didn't contribute to the crowdfunding, then you do a pre-order for them. Then you release it, sell it initially. Then you put it up on streaming services for everyone that wants to, to stream it. And that's fine. But at least you've gone through the full cycle of, all of your different types of fans and uh, Ari Herstan has this pyramid of investment that's in his, I think his book is right behind me here, but uh, I have a quote on, I have a quote on the back of Ari's first edition book, but he became too famous. And the second edition, my quote is not on the back of the book. So I'm oh, a, little, man. a little bit upset about that. Anyways, I think that's the second print, but it's this pyramid of investment and it's thinking about your fans in this pyramid. And at the very top are like your VIPs. Like those are the, those are the ones who are going to, give you 2,500 bucks to get a matching tattoo with the singer of the band. And then you have like your um, fan subscribers and then people are going to uh, buy a ticket to a show, buy merch. Then you have people just going to buy your music, CD, digital download, and then you have your music streamers. And so all of these fans are great to have. And you, every artist has fans that fit into most of those categories, but it's important um, with all of this, all the talk of revenue streams that you're offering different options because you're, you have different levels of fandom, different levels of fans. So some are just going to stream your music. That's cool. Like it's, there's still some revenue generated from that. I, I know that's a controversial topic, but we've seen our members um, get added to hugely popular playlists on Spotify and their careers have just taken off. And that's a whole other conversation, but um 
you know, having your music available for streaming, having it available for digital download, giving your op option to pay what you can, offering merch, offering live stream, ticketed live streams, you know, crowdfunding fan subscriptions. So it's all these different things. Um, but it's a lot to manage, obviously. I just, well, it's, in it, saying it's that, also, I felt overwhelmed. I can't imagine for an artist. <laughs> it's a lot to just get started on, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, where did I hear that? Oh, from uh, Stephen Pressfield, the guy who was our keynote at the Road Rally this year who wrote The War of Art. He's got yeah. a quote I'm trying to remember correctly right now, but um, it's something like uh, the surest sign of, of being an amateur is just not starting. And that's a lot of people think about stuff. They overthink it. They think yeah. about all the obstacles in their way. They really just need to put one foot in front of the other, start out with one thing and, and yeah. make that happen. Do you have, what would be your one thing if you were an artist that were starting anew and you didn't know what you know, but you know what you know, you know what I mean? That's really yeah. confusing. I'm not exactly Barbara Walters as an interviewer. <laughs> uh, but knowing what you know, if you could talk to your marketing virginal neophyte uh, artist self, what would you tell yourself would be the first thing and how would you do it? <sighs> That's a great question. Um, I'd probably stick i'd start if i didn't have a website i know that's coming from a website guy but I, I would start by building my website start collecting emails and then using social media if i was just starting out i'd have some music i would put it on my website pay what you can so you can pay nothing or you can pay me a buck or five bucks whatever um have it available for streaming so people can discover it fans can enjoy it there collect emails on the site and that and that's where social media comes into play especially when you're starting out like it's that's what where it works the best is when you're looking for fans and you're engaging with your current fans and and just experimenting and trying things out and seeing what's connecting with people like the data that you get from social media can be really interesting through your website as well but that's more traffic and, and sales driven but on social media you can see you know if your posts are resonating with people um, and what kind of content works and get to know your own brand and personality. So I, I would, we call it the hub and spokes. Like your hub online is your website, your website and email list go hand in hand. And the spokes are SoundCloud and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, you know, TikTok and all those things, but you want to drive people, not with every post because that'll, you know, get tiring for, for fans, but every once in a while, just sprinkle in like a, Hey, by the way, you can get an exclusive EP by signing up to my mailing list and with the link, but the rest of the time you're just engaging, um, you know, getting to know your fans. And, uh, that's probably how I do it. Like it, it's one of these things I'll never forget. Uh, we were talking about Florida before and you're wearing a Miami uh, sweater. Um, I met a band at, um, full sail university in Florida and young guys like rock band four guys in the band and they blew me away because they each had a role with social media so they split wow. up the, the instagram the twitter whatever and every single day each of them spent between an hour and two hours engaging in conversations with their fans and they built up a following of thousands and thousands like from scratch they weren't a well-known band, but 
they made it fun for their fans to follow them because they were responding and asking questions back and really engaging with them and putting out kind of fun stuff. But putting in the time, like it's really, it's one of those things where you have to be consistent with it. You can't just post once on Facebook, leave for three weeks and expect miracles. You know, it's it, you got to really put some effort and time into it. So it's, I'd love that they were doing that. Like they each had a daily task to engage with their fans for at least an hour a day on a specific platform. That's and a rare band that could divvy up the responsibilities. <laughs> Cause usually it's like, there's always the one guy in the band who is probably the leader of the band and takes on most of the stuff. And the other guys are busy rolling joints or, or whatever. And, yeah. uh, and stuff doesn't get done inevitably the band breaks up but you're right. i've seen this in several bands that have been wildly successful as independents where they distribute the the tasks and yeah. they have weekly meetings and everybody's held accountable at the meeting so how many posts did you do did you miss any days what things you know give us a report we do that at taxi we call them tmz meetings like the tv show tmz where the host where the host yeah. goes around and talks to everybody um sorry i love that yeah so that's what we do when we do like an a and r staff meeting we go person by person by person and they all report from their aspect of the a and r department it's yeah. rare that a band can pull that off but when they do it almost always results in success it shows. and just out of curiosity like after i spoke to the band i followed them on twitter and i got a direct message within five minutes Wow. Of one of the band members saying, hey, thanks so much for following us. Maybe it was automated. They might have been using a tool. I don't know. But it felt good. <laughs> and, you know, that you could see that on their timeline, they were constantly engaging with their fans. So it's one of those things where if you want to generate revenue, that's a different conversation. If you're just looking to enjoy making music, then, you know, you don't have to do these things. You don't have to put pressure on yourself to do these things. But if you are trying to make a living at it, or if it is your living, then, you know, deal, like doing those things on a consistent basis over the long term really add up. So you're not going to get instant results in the first week, but, mm. you know, maybe in this, in the second month or third month, a tweet or an Instagram post, you know, a certain hashtag you put with it all of a sudden, you know, attracted attention and was getting shared. Yet you never know. I mean, there's one of my favorite singer songwriters in Canada years ago. Um, he had a bit of a following and, and he was just tweeting just dumb album titles with movie titles, like mashing them together. And he created some goofy ha hashtag. He was waiting to go to soundcheck and his followers started playing in on playing the game and it started trending on Twitter in wow. North America. Because everyone was like, oh, this is hilarious. Let's all do this. And he started it and he got, you know, thousands and thousands of followers from it. But it was just one of these like unplanned creative artist things where you're like, I'm bored before soundcheck. Let me just tweet some goofy things. And he slapped a hashtag on it. And, you know, not everyone can do that. But it's one of those things where you don't, you don't know unless you're consistently putting effort into creating things and trying out different things on social media. And, and so, that would be my advice going back to your original and, and great question is, you know, start with the basics, make sure you own your website, you have your website, you have a mailing list, and then use social media to experiment, engage with your fans on a consistent, regular basis over the long term. Um, and then, you know, we didn't even talk about the music aspect of having great music doesn't hurt, uh, obviously. Um, when you have great music or a great live show or a great live clip or a great video or a funny video or something, 
fans will share that and that exponentially helps your marketing efforts, right? You guys have blogs about this stuff on your site. Uh, and I, I want people to know that you should go to banzoogle.com even if you already have your own website and you have it using, you know, another platform or something, go to Banzoogle for the deep, deep well of information that's there. Um, yeah, it's uh, getting back to your your keynote speaker from the last rally. Um, I no longer do any blogging at Banzoogle. I, I kind of oversee it, but um, our communications manager, Melanie Keeley, has taken over and she's amazing. And she's our, our principal blog writer and, and curates the content now. And, you know, it's, it's better than it's ever been. And I, you know, when I first started at Banzoogle 10 years ago, all I did was, was I was part-time blogging. Um, and then I became full-time blogging and that was my main focus. And I'll never forget it. It got to the point where you're, you're and it's, it's same for writers, same for musicians and composers. You know, I started to get this block of, every blog post had to be like hmm. the best ever. And like, then I'd get stuck. I'd get like, right. I'd get scared almost. And I'll never forget. I heard of the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. And I read it. And it was such like a, almost like a working class, like blue collar, like this is your job. You have to do it every day. Just yeah. write the damn thing. Just do it consistently. Um, and that real that book for any artist or creative person that has not read that book, oh my God, highly recommend it. it it's a real kick in the ass uh, when you're feeling stuck and not productive because it'll inspire you to just just get it done. Just it's one of those things you just got to get it done. I am such a fanboy of Pressfields. Uh, I read the book many years ago uh, and I tried to get them for the road rally, I think three or four years ago when we were doing a physical road rally. And then in the end, he didn't want to do it. I think, I think he just didn't want to be in a ballroom with a, a thousand people or something, but he felt very comfortable doing it live online. He and I really hit it off. At least I think we have, hopefully he feels the same way, but um, we now exchange emails about every 10 or 12 days. And, um, We've got a tentative golf game set up. We both love a particular golf course here in L.A. So when COVID right. has finally become a, a memory, we will go play around the golf together. But even his emails and our emails are short. It's just, you know, I, I don't want to make him sit down and read a novel from me, but I'll send him like a two sentence email. And the two sentences he sends back, I just go, this guy was put on God's green earth to do what he does because he's one of those people whose insight is blue collar. It's a great way to describe it. He's so deep, but he's not an elitist snob. He's just one of us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, if absolutely. you guys, anybody who hasn't read The War of Art by Stephen with the V Pressfield, um, you are just hurting yourself. You can bang it out on a Saturday. Um, oh, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a quick read, but it's such an impactful read. You yeah. Know? Um, I've read it twice at least twice like it's one of those things you, it's a good reminder yeah <laughs> whenever it's kind of stuck in a rut I, i've read some of his novels now or his historical stuff um he's got a book called the lion's gate about when israel recaptured the western wall the wailing wall and, and he does it in first person narrative from in the voice of the soldiers who lived it um wow. and, and i'm reading the book now that um 
annotates his trip to Israel to interview these guys now that they're 80 years old, and that's how he got the information for the book. Oh my gosh, you can't put down what the guy writes. And it points to one thing, which is the email I haven't sent to him yet, which is craft. And, and this goes back to your statement a couple minutes ago about, and yeah, you got to have good music. Um, you can know all the marketing tricks in the, in the world, but if your music isn't great, well, he proves that with his craft. The guy can write a, a narrative, you know, it's like semi-fictional, but historical book. And, and I, I love to highlight books and I'm, I'm finding myself just rather than highlighting, you know, sentence by, where, where am I? Sentence by sentence. I just go and highlight the whole page now on the margin. And it's his craft that makes me love it so much. So your point about the music is incredibly well taken. People have forgotten that if you don't write hooks, you can, you know, market it all you want. People are going to go, well, I came, I tried, not that good, bye-bye. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the one, before we get to questions, the last yeah. revenue stream I want to talk about is extremely relevant, and I wanted to talk to you specifically about it and and taxi members because for Banzoogle members it's still something that's not relatively new but that especially during the pandemic a lot more of our members are trying to learn about and I've been telling them you know check out taxi um Thank which you. is because you don't need to do this you know it doesn't matter if there's live shows or not but licensing your music is something that you can do year round you don't you know so it's still something that a lot of artists don't understand about um we have a couple of our members that have had some success and i wanted to ask you like what are you seeing like you're taxi you're mr taxi like you're seeing all these opportunities um and artists you know getting placements and i'm just curious like what your experience and the experience of your team has been this past year um with licensing music i am so glad you asked that i really I'm thrilled that you asked that. Um, I got to tell you, right before the lockdown happened, we all knew it was coming, and it was just a matter of days until they announced it. And my head was spinning, and I wasn't sleeping well at night because I thought, oh, my God. You know, it, at first I thought it would be two or three weeks, and I thought, that's going to be tough on a lot of people. You know, even if they lose three weeks of income, that's hardship for a lot of people. And then it happened, and I thought, well, it's the beginning of the end. The staff and I went remote. The staff, I am so incredibly grateful for my staff for doing such a great job of working remote. As a matter of fact, I think we would all agree, they would all agree with me. In some regards, we're more productive than we've ever been. There's a little more accountability. There's a little more pride of workmanship that we report to each other. It's like, here I am isolated my house but guess what i did today i accomplished a new thing yep. on the industry side we thought that things would just fall apart because productions got shut down not shooting right. any shows no music right. is needed well right. um we have seen the single biggest influx of new requests for music in the company's 29 year history um wow. and if I, I couldn't explain it at first uh, I'm, I'm not certain I can explain it now. Uh, and I think we're on, as soon as this is over, there's going to be a peak of new requests that are, is just going to be insane because of all the shows going into production. So 
It's been really, really good. Um, our members are getting more deals than ever. Um, the libraries, music production music libraries that were the weaker ones that run by people who weren't taking it all that seriously, who weren't good business people, they didn't know how to survive the pandemic and they seem to have fallen by the wayside. The ones that did know how to run a good business seem to be thriving. Although I do get reports where they'll hit pockets of like a dead zone where they're getting very, very few requests coming in. And then all of a sudden they just can't keep up with the requests. Um, so overall, I'm happy to report that music licensing has been really healthy and it has also been really good for taxi members specifically in this regard, which is when the libraries do have those pockets of downtime, rather than scrambling all the time to sell music, they're now going to look at their catalog and going, oh, that orchestral stuff, it sounds a little long in the tooth, frankly. You know, a lot of it was done five, ten years ago. Samples weren't that good. Um, people weren't that good with their home studios. I need to freshen up that genre in my catalog. We picked up on that pretty quickly and started now reaching out to them going, hey, you know, is there anything you need to freshen up? There are some library owners that I'm personally, I'm friends with them like I am with you. I could call you and say, hey, Dave, there's something on the Bandzoogle website that maybe you guys are too close to it, you haven't noticed, and you would go, oh, thanks for telling me. I would do the same if the shoe were on the other foot. Well, the library owners um, that I know super well, I, I've called them and said, dude, I was on your site last night. I was listening to dramedy, and it sounds like everybody else is dramedy music. There's, uh, you need some fresh blood. Can we run some dramedy listings, and can I word it saying that you're looking for stuff that's left to center? That's a great idea, would you please? So all these little things have kind of filled in the gaps to what has been Taxi's best year ever. Uh, wow. for, from the member perspective, members getting deals. And in closing on that thought, even though we didn't have a road rally in person this year, and the road rally has become a big thing for building relationships over a beer in the lobby bar. Um, I would say something like 30 or 40%, if I just had to wing it and guess, 30 to 40% of all the music signed is a result of people meeting people, whether it's a collaborator who they partner with and ride, and I mean this in the kindest way, ride their coattails into a catalog, or they meet the library owner at the road rally and, you know, just a simple conversation starter. Like, I saw you on that panel. That was great. How did you get started in the industry? Because everybody loves to talk about him or herself. And before you know it, rather than you walking up, I'm looking for a CD, I can't find one, but rather than walking up and shoving music in somebody's face at the bar, asking them, how did you get started? Or can you elaborate on that point for me? Sooner or later, they're going to turn to you and go, so what do you do? Well, I make really good dramedy tracks. Oh man, I could use some of those. So all these things came together in 2020 for what turned out to be a remarkable year. Not so much for Taxi as a company, although it, it was, but for our members, I've never seen more deals, more placements, people who are the deals are happening faster, which I don't really, I shouldn't talk about publicly because it, it raises expectations to an unrealistic level. I've seen a lot more people that in their first 90 days of taxi have gotten deals. Why that's happening, I don't know, but I 
think it's attributable to people are just making better music and more people understand the craft of building instrumental cues for reality shows and how that's different from writing songs about your girlfriend on an acoustic guitar. Yeah. Wow. That's first of all, that's amazing to hear. I'm happy to hear that. And I think, God, you, you hit on a, such a great point that I hadn't even thought of, which is when all these productions open up, like fully open up. I mean, the it's demand be, for me, yeah, crazy, <laughs> incredible. That's amazing. I mean, so that's that's incredible to hear. That makes me feel good about things. Um, oh, I'm so glad you asked I, that question. Yeah. Uh, no, I was so curious. When we booked this, I was like, I cannot wait to talk to Michael about how the licensing world is because I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't. It's, it's part of the, it's part of the industry that I, I'll always defer to people like yourself. Like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I never have, probably never will, but it fascinates me. And I know musicians and composers are having a lot of success and making their careers with it. And it's it's heartening to hear that, you know, it's been a good year and, and you're absolutely right. I think, you know, once all these productions open up, all of a sudden there's gonna be that flood of demand for, for music, music, music to go with all these productions that are delayed, but also the new ones that are gonna start up. It's phenomenal. If I can brag about my team a little bit here, uh, I remember about 10 days to two weeks before we went out on lockdown, I said, this thing is becoming real and it's not gonna be unlike the experience we had after 9-11 at Taxi. Our, our personal experience was that all of a sudden we got flooded with requests for music that would be appropriate for like movies of the week type stuff about 9-11. Um, and I said, we are going to, the industry is gonna need a bunch of music about uh, making it through tough times, how family really matters, um, tragedy of losing somebody, the, the joy of coming out the other end of the tunnel. And so we literally sent an email to about 25 to 35 production music libraries that we have very good ongoing relationships with and said, you're gonna need this. You probably haven't thought about it because you guys are always scrambling to get you know orders filled today, but you're going to need this. And they went, oh yeah, that's great. And a bunch of them ran listings and we got some nice emails from people saying, man, that was so prescient of you guys to think of that. It was only because we saw it happen once before and I didn't forget the lesson. But so yes, not only will there be a lot of productions, but the focus will for many of them, obviously not all of them, but I think even... You know, a, a, a sitcom um, is going to have an episode that's going to be based around, uh, you know, we can go out to dinner tonight or we can go to a movie theater. And yeah. so songs about going out and having fun are going to be very appropriate. So that's my way of telling the music community, think forward think yeah. about what might be on the horizon it's great to sit down and write from the heart wait for the muse to show up and tell you what to write but maybe the muse could tell you to write songs that aren't hey i'm so glad we can go to a movie theater tonight but a song about it's great to be out in the world yeah. something general you know yeah anyway there's thank you for asking that <laughs> giving me a soapbox <laughs> <laughs> all right you ready for some q a sure all right, guys, uh, if you've got a question, type the word question in all caps. There's one right there from Lane Bell and Shrek. 
I'm finding it difficult to raise fans to my own site. Uh, how will Banzoogle be different, or do we have to pay Facebook social media sites for advertising space to get fans? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question, and it's uh, you know it's the million dollar question: How do you get fans? Um, how do you build up a fan base? So Banzoogle uh, is a platform that strictly powers your website. We don't get involved in, in the promotion side of things and we don't make any claims or promises to, you know, provide a fan base for any of our members. We're simply there to power your website, make sure it looks professional and you can do all your direct fan e-commerce, drive your fans there to sell music, collect emails and all that. But we, you know, there are services out there that claim to be able to build your fan base for you and find your fans. Um, I tend to be very skeptical of those types of services. Um, it's really more of getting back to what we, we talked about earlier, Michael, is just that grind of, you know, every day just being on social media, engaging with, the, even if you have, you know, a few dozen fans, just engaging with them, putting out new content. And as the content gets better and you're experimenting and see what works, you're going to build up that fan base. But it's a slow process and it can be, I would imagine, slower than most people would like and hmm. uh, frustrating at times, but no, Banzoogle doesn't and we would never promise to um, help you find fans or something like that. We can make your website will be found by Google. Like we do things for SEO and for search to make sure that your websites are optimized so that, you know, when someone types in your, your artist name in, in a Google search, they're going to find your website, but that's, that's the extent of it. We don't get involved in uh, promoting uh individual artists every fan base is different every artist has different fan bases so you know we have we're a relatively small company in the space but we have over fifty five thousand artists so, i mean you'd need fifty five thousand artist marketers <laughs> to yeah. to really get to know each individual artist so i wish i had a better answer for you but um it's it's a long it can be you know kind of a grind to build up your fan base and there's you know facebook ads instagram ads you know um, show.co has a great suite of tools. Baby show.co has a great uh, bunch of tools that you can use to target fans and target mu music fans. So those would be places to, yeah, to look to augment what you're doing on a daily basis for free, which is, you know, hopefully engaging with your fans and putting out new content. Um, Nancy Collell is asking, uh, what's the best current book recommended for all the things we're talking about? Um, and there are many of them, and I think you and I are both readers. You know, I, I tend to read an hour a day, um, almost all business-related books, whether it's marketing or management. Um, I, my personal favorite person out there, and I don't even know if her book is still out, probably is, Ariel Hyatt is probably the best known, the most well-informed, and that's A-I-R-E-L one L Hyatt, like Hyatt hotels, H Y A T T. Um, she's great at social media and she was on top of it way before everybody else, but she's also great about doing it specifically for musicians. Do you have any favorites? I do a couple. Ariel's definitely one of them. Um, been friends with Ariel now for close to 20 years. Uh, so she's been around a long time. She knows her stuff. Definitely recommend that she does uh, two. I'll name one. I, I, plug before was Ari Herstand. He's got a, the second edition of his book, uh, How to Make It in the New 
how to make it in the new music business. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. It's a bestseller, uh, has been for several years now. And um, Brie Noble, um, who I mm. believe was, uh, did a work uh, class at Taxi the last time we were there. Um, and she has a book called The Musician's Profit Path, a uh, five-stage blueprint to create massive growth and, fan, and a fan base uh, for your career. So that's available on Amazon as well. So Brie Noble, B-R-E-E-N-O-B-L-E, -E, uh, The Musician's Profit Path. So those would be the two um, that I would definitely recommend. Uh, yeah, I, I think they named a prize after Brie. <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually know her as well. I think she interviewed me about was yep. it a couple of years ago. Um, very, very, very nice lady and definitely an advocate for all musicians. All right, here's another question. Um, what was the name of that printing site that you referenced earlier? Oh, it's called Printful, printful.com. And I think it's only got one L on the end, I think. Exactly. Um, yeah, so Using Bandoogle, you can absolutely still use Printful. Um, it's a great service, print-on-demand service. And they have facilities worldwide, so it's great if you have fans in different areas of the world, like they have uh, print facilities globally. Um, but yeah, it's 1L, pr Printful with 1L. Um, but we, now we have an integration where it, it pulls and you create your merch on Printful, and then you pull it in through our API connection, and it'll put your Printful items um, alongside your CDs, your vinyl, your digital music. And so your fans could shop for all these different things. And uh, the CDs, let's say you're fulfilling those, you'll send them the CD, but then they'll get the T-shirt the printed by Printful and that'll ship to you directly from them. So it's all seamlessly integrated into your into your website store uh, through that integration. So we're we're super excited. It's it's uh, just launched, and we're launching a, a big charity initiative uh, starting tomorrow. Actually, um, for our seventeenth birthday at, at Banzoogle, we're launching every year. Um, we used to have a meetup, not this past year, obviously, but we're fully remote. So we're talking about remote work. Um, a taxi. Benzoogle's been remote now for 17 years. And so every year we fly the staff and their family into one location for a week and we hang out because we don't get to see each other very much and, you know, <laughs> get to meet them often, watch all the kids grow up. It's, it's fun. And we always create uh, the special anniversary merch every time. It could be a t-shirt, could be a bathrobe, it could be a mug, it could, you know. Um, and our members always ask us, hey, where can I get one of those? And we're like, staff only, sorry. <laughs> Uh, so we're launching with the Printful integration a store tomorrow that's going to have our 17th anniversary charity merch. We hired a really great illustrator to do a custom design, and we're giving all the profits to the Unison Benelvin Fund up here in Canada, which gives um, money to the music community uh, for mental health support. And it's obviously never been more needed than this yeah, past year. I was going to say, if there was every year. Yeah, so they're they're the they're the biggest music charity in Canada. So we're, we're working with them and Ben's Eagle is going to match $5,000 of donations, um, as well on top of that. Sweet. So but anyway, so it's a little bit of a side with, with Printful, but that's happening tomorrow. So now uh, we're excited about that. Sorry. I went off on a tangent. More questions. No, that's okay. I mean, that's awesome that you guys are doing that. And uh, I've got a, a 
a tangent that I'll keep under a minute here about the anniversary shirt. Many years ago, I was the uh, studio manager in New York of a studio called Howard Schwartz Recording, better known as HSR. It was the preeminent audio post facility, probably anywhere in the United States, probably the world. I mean, it was as good as it got for audio post. Very large facility. And uh, so for the 10th anniversary, we made shirts that only our top clients and the staff could get. We threw mm-hmm. a party out in the Hamptons and only top clients and the staff got to go. And about six months later, I came to LA. I flew out here from New York to look and see, I wanted to survey the landscape to look at the competitors out here and think about opening up a Howie Schwartz West Coast. Well, I stayed uh, at the hotel, the Chateau Marmont, where John Belushi famously passed away. And apparently the night that I landed, let's say I flew in on a Thursday night, the police found a dead body somewhere in Los Angeles wearing one of these sweatshirts. And the deceased person had black hair, was about five, nine and a half, which I am on a good day. (laughs) And they saw the shirt had the phone number of the studio, the logo and the phone number. So the next morning they called Howie Schwartz recording. They get the receptionist on the phone. Do you guys have anybody currently in Los Angeles that would be wearing a sweatshirt with the 10th anniversary logo on it? Yes, yes, we do. It's our manager, Michael Lasko. Well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but we think we found him dead face down in somebody's front yard. And the staff went hysterical. They all thought I was dead. (laughs) Until Howie himself got on the phone and he goes, nah, you know... Lasco's fatter than that or something, you know, something gave it away that it wasn't me. And the next thing I know, I had LAPD detectives knocking on my door. It turned out it was a homeless gentleman. We've never figured out how he got the shirt other than possibly one of our clients had gotten it and and gave it to Goodwill or something. And this homeless guy got it, but it wasn't me. (laughs) So those anniversary shirts sometimes are good for a murder mystery. (laughs) Jesus I love the stories I've had in my lifetime. Okay, one more question. We've got time for many more questions. Um, Is a USB stick uh, good to give away as as a freebie or sell? Where where do they rank in the order of desirable items? Depends what you put on it. I think like. No, it's true. Like you know, I've seen artists like they have their they have their newest album on it, and it's branded, and that's cool. Um, and I've I've gotten those as instead of CDs at Taxi. Um, you know, artists are giving USB keys, which is fine. I've seen other artists where they have their full discography. There's videos. There's you know high res photos. They're pre- like, you know, which is cool too. I think they're pretty cheap to produce now. Um, I think it's one of those things where. It's a good question. It's making me think here. So, you know, it it strikes me as something that would be relatively inexpensive to ship. And if you're tr- really trying to build your mailing list, that could be something that, you know, you could give away in exchange for emails, uh, could, depending on the, your, your cost per USB, of course. Um, but you could try selling them. You could try selling them for a minimum price and pay what you want. Um, I've seen them more or less as a giveaway item, though, um, mm-hmm. at industry conferences where... You know, instead of giving a CD and and I get handed or people have tried handing me CDs in the last few years and I literally no longer own a device that plays a CD. 
Yeah. Unfortunately, all the latest, you know, Apple products don't have disk drives. So, um, so USB keys, well, they don't even have a USB port anymore. That's another story, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, but I, I would probably, it depends what your goal is with them. If they're for fans, you could try selling them. Um, but I see mostly artists using them for industry purposes where they have the EPK loaded onto it, some music it's branded sort of kind of like a business card, like a, Oh yeah. Or powerful business card. But I don't know if that answers your questions, but I, I think, you know, you, you can try selling any kind of merch and the numbers will, will tell you if it's a good idea or not. <laughs> like if no one's buying it, um, you know, you can move on to something else, but again, you can make, maybe set the price at whatever your cost is and make it pay what you want. And so the minimum is at least you're not losing money, but maybe fans will, chip in an extra few bucks just to to support you um i want to go back to one i've got to scroll up in my chat room to find this one uh this one's from nancy Kalel. aside from banzoogle collecting the emails what's the best system to keeping track of all the emails seriously mine are still attached to numerous clipboards old school <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah that's I used to intern for artists many years ago and, and touring artists and I would have to take those clipboards and I'd have to try to read the writing and enter it into a Excel spreadsheet. And <laughs> so that's the first step, unfortunately. And you could probably hire someone, uh, you know, through one of these freelancing websites for cheap to, uh, to try to transcribe that for you. But anyways, you know, when an email is collected through Banzoogle, similar to when it's collected through like a MailChimp sign up form, um, it goes in a database and you can download it as a CSV file. You can sort it. You can, you know, um, you know, you can, you can use that data and, and search that data that way, uh, electronically, um, once it's, it's automatically entered into that database for you and you can then do some segmenting and, and searching within it from there. Man, you guys are really um, client-friendly and client-centric in the fact that you don't make any commissions on anything people sell through the sites that they build using your tools. And the fact that you you could be a musician that's built a site, collected a thousand emails, let's say, and then you decide, you know what? I'm not going to stick with Banzoogle. Or I'm not going to have a website, whatever. They leave as a customer. They can download the CSV and they could go to Constant Contact and just re-upload that and start an email campaign using any of the email providers. And by the way, I, I'm pretty well-versed. I'm saying this to the audience, not you, Dave, but um, almost any of the brand name email providers are pretty darn good. And for the most part, you can get free a free level of service from them start out that way because you don't need to pay for anything they do until you get over like 500 or a thousand people on your list and at that point you're going to be generating enough money that you can pay them for what they do so whether it's um i don't know constant contact a weber there's just a million of them out there any of them that you've seen over and over there's one called emma um yeah. nashville I once did an event in their office space randomly in wow. Nashville. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about emails is you have to learn how to write great subject lines. And I, you know, a question I want to ask you that I ask you every time we talk in public uh, mm -hmm. is people use crazy fonts on websites. They think they're getting all artistic and nobody could read that stuff. Uh, do you have a preferred font 
and a preferred font size for the whatever the focal point of your home page is. My my, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I'm looking, our lead designer actually wrote a blog post this past year on how to choose fonts for your website. So I'm just looking it up. So it's important to keep it simple. So you're going to have one font for all of the body text. Don't use different fonts for different, like just <laughs> keep it simple. You can have a different font for your artist name or logo or whatever. Um, and just make sure it's legible. Like it's it's about font selection, but also the contrast of the text to the background of your website. So if you have, you know, black background on your website, don't have gray text on your web. And we see it all the time. All the time. I've seen professional designers use like a fifty percent gray saturation on a white background. It's like what the hell? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it's it's really partially a, a font selection and in our system we have preloaded fonts and you know you, you'll do okay using those you can actually upload your own custom fonts if you want um but yeah it, it's it's a font selection thing keeping it simple making it making sure it's legible like nothing too fancy or curvy like cursive like for your body text like you want to make it very legible very quickly very easy to read so it's you know keeping the, the fonts choice simple for the copy the main body text and making sure the contrast or even you know you see sometimes uh and you can do this through banzoo different sections of the website have background images but then you scroll and you can't read the text over the background image you know so it's just making sure that you know everything is is very easily readable like i, I was on instagram earlier today and there were these teaching slides that uh, an organization had uh, put up and I, it, it was extremely cursive. There was yellow on uh, like light blue. I just, I couldn't read the dense <laughs> text on these five slides. So I gave up. I was like, I can't, you know, just make it readable. There's a great book that I read probably 20 years ago and it was one of my life changing books from a business owner's perspective i can't remember the title but i can tell you that it was written by a guy named colin wielden w-h-e-i-l-d-o-n or w-h-i-e-l-d-o-n colin wielden and it's called like graphics and fonts or something like that and it's a fairly old school book but what they did was they studied which font in which size against which color font this size on this background and it turns out that a 12 point times or times new roman is the most readable font in print on paper the book was written i believe before websites were yeah. a thing or certainly like they are now um but you know if all else fails go with helvetica or something very simple like helvetica for your body copy on on the internet um and you can use a different font for your headline. So maybe go with Times New Roman, um, you know, that big for your headline on your website. And, and then like a, the equivalent of a 12 point Helvetica, or I'm trying to think uh, what the other ones are, but yeah, Helvetica will get you in the ballpark. 
Yeah, for um, sure. It, so it, Post, if you Google uh, how to choose fonts for your band website. If you want, you can email that link right now to Liz at taxi.com and she'll put it in the chat. So it'll be up there every time people watch this. Awesome. Liz at taxi.com. Uh-huh. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Yeah, it's a great resource. And he goes into details of, you know, contrast and where you can find um, different fonts and how to pair them depending on genre. Um, and he's the one who chooses the fonts uh, for Banzoogle uh, to have in our system. So um, we were happy that he, he wrote that for us. So lizatax.com website fonts. There you go. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Here's a question from Glenn Letts. Um, by the way, Glenn, thank you for sending me that card celebrating our 29th anniversary. Very, very sweet of you. I saw it when I went to the office today. Uh, question. Have, have wedding, he has a wedding music website through iPowerWeb. If I got a Banzoogle site, would I be able to transfer the wedding content to Banzoogle website and add content selling guitar lessons as well? So could you just transfer, when he says transferring content, that's, that's one thing to transfer over a block of text or an image. I think he's asking, can I just take the pages that are already built and, and bring them over? Yeah, unfortunately not. So you'd be going from one platform to another and it's it would be um initially depending on how much content you have but you can download all that from your current website or copy paste the, the text into or you can have it actually um you can benzigle's free to try i should mention that and with taxi you get three months free and a discount and so you can really take your time and just have your benzigle website open which is not you know um that's gonna be a work in progress and just copy over the content copy the text build up the pages um, download the images and upload them. We have um, different integrations that can help. We have an integration with Dropbox. So if you put everything in Dropbox, you can just upload it all that way. Um, but no, there's not, there's unfortunately, there's not a way to directly import that stuff. It's going to be somewhat manual, but we do have some integrations that will help speed up that process. And then to answer your second question is absolutely, we have a ton of music teachers using Banzoogle that sell lessons and they pay for the lessons through the website because it's commission free. Um, so we have teachers who are selling videos, uh, video files, video lessons, doing the subscriptions model where it's gated and your students are subscribers and you do, the, you know, different levels. So some of them get individual teaching, some of them get a group class, some of them get to choose which songs to learn, that kind of thing. So there's different ways to, to use your website for, uh, for teaching lessons, but absolutely we have uh, the capability to, to do all of that. Great. And here's a question from Edmund Red, who's a Banzoogle user, says he's having major SEO issues with Banzoogle. Is there a way to go under the hood and fix that? SEO, not an easy task, my friend. <laughs> Dave, <laughs> take it away. That, um, yeah, you can contact our support team. I mean, there are a bunch of things that you can do. It depends, it depends what you're trying to accomplish specifically with SEO. Um, but without knowing exactly, you can customize things to a certain degree. Um, with Banzoogle, you can add custom uh, titles and tags and page descriptions. Um, we have different tools uh, to make sure your site is you know, registered and updated with Google. Um, but it, it all depends what you're trying to accomplish with SEO. And we actually have on our blog, uh, on the sidebar, there's a guide written by our head of growth marketing. Um, 
which is a guide to SEO for musicians that really goes, it's a real deep dive into um, SEO for musicians and the things that you can do uh, with Bandzoogle specifically. So it's SEO is a, a bit of a, can be a bit of a complex topic. I'm not the best person to answer SEO questions, but I know there's definitely some customizations you can make and you can contact the support team anytime and, and they can uh, take a look at that for you and make some recommendations. I, I'm... <sighs> I'm a civilian SEO expert. Um, I've read a million books. Uh, we have an SEO guy that gets paid every month to do stuff. I mean, we have some ridiculous number of pages on our website, like 16 or 18,000 pages. And so SEO is an ongoing thing. I could tell you the simplest thing that people mess up is bad metadata, bad title tags. Um, yeah. And if you can get your title tags to match the headlines and make sure you tag your pictures, all those basic steps, those are foundational. They absolutely will help. Uh, I missed a question earlier from Marion Laird, which is, is there any limit to the number of items your clients can sell through Banzoogle? My regular website has a limit of 10 items or so without an expensive upgrade. Uh, so does Banzoogle, could I be a music teacher and sell CDs and merch and blah, blah, blah? Is there a, a cap on the number of items? There's only a cap on the digital tracks. Um, that's only on the, the light plan. Um, but I don't believe there's any limitations on the store on uh, merch items that, that I know of. I could, I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I think, I think it's unlimited um, store items and merch items. And just getting back to Edmund Red for a second, I don't know what Edmund, what you're trying to accomplish, and please do contact our support team. But I Googled your name and your Banzoogle website was my first result. And you have the the Google um, thing along the side that has your, your YouTube link, your, your genre, songs, your different profiles. It has that, uh, that special thing on the side. I forget the technical term for it. But um, so I'm not sure if you're trying to do something else with different keywords, which would be a different thing. But Definitely if someone Googles your name, at least I haven't Googled your name anytime uh, lately, uh, that's for sure. So it wasn't stored or anything like that. And you're, you're first and you've got your, uh, all your info there um, that's crawled from your website that's displaying on, on the search. So that's a, at least a good starting point. But um, if you're trying to do something else with different keywords and trying to show up for like specific type of music and, and music licensing composer yeah. you're yeah, one exactly. of 2.1 million people trying to get on that front page that's a tough job yeah so it depends what you're depends what you're trying to accomplish and and you know there, there's there's certain you know things that could definitely help and our support team can can hopefully help you uh go in the right direction anyways but it, it can be depending on what you're trying to do it can be extremely like you just said michael extremely competitive uh for for certain keywords well, I got to tell you, not only are you a good friend, and I, I always like, well, Dave and I go to dinner, seriously, like a three-hour dinner for us always feels like not enough. I, I get in the car to go home. And th I, I'm sure I've said this, that if you and I lived in the same town, um, we'd be hanging out a lot. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I miss you. I miss you, man. I, I hope we get to see each other this year. Um, yeah. It's nice to have those dinners once a year and catch up and, uh, and and have nice long conversations that are music industry related, but also just life. Um, but I'm glad we were able to do this. I, I really appreciate the invite. I appreciate everyone you know who tuned in. I, I hope I answered your questions. And if not, please contact our support team if you have any further questions. But uh, I really enjoyed 
hanging out for for an hour and a half and, and chatting, Michael. I loved having you on the show. I will have people in the chat are saying, get him back before the road rally. So I will. I'll make a point of that. I am absolutely serious about having you moderate that panel at the road rally, whether it's physical or virtual. Um, oh. Uh, Tony Van Veen and one other Dan, I can't remember Dan's last name, are the only people I've ever let moderate other panels. So you're in very good company. Um, Honored. I, I love the, the concept of, you know, getting some people who've done it, your, your most successful examples and say, spill your guts, kids, tell the rest of the room how you did it. Um, with that, I want to say recommend, look, Banzoogle does write us a check to sponsor the road rally. That's not why I think you can see that's not why I invited Dave to be on the show. Um, and, and that's not why I recommend Banzoogle. I recommend Banzoogle because our members use them. They love them. I have never, ever heard one bad thing about Banzoogle. I've only heard glowing stuff about how easy it was to build the site. They're so comprehensive in all the tools they give you. The fact that you guys let people run all this merch and all this stuff for sale through, you're like the only company I can think of that doesn't take 10 or 15% off the top of that. So yay. Um, with that, thank you, Dave. Um, just see you when I see you, buddy. Uh, always great to have you here. You guys, I will see you tomorrow for Taxi's Quarantini Happy Hour right here, same channel, 4 o'clock. If you haven't given us a like, please do. Please remember to hit that red record button if you're new to the show. and you're I mean, red, uh, uh, not record. <laughs> I played with logic all weekend. <laughs> That's so funny. Hit the red subscribe button if you're not a subscriber yet. And uh, we'll see you back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, everyone. Great to see you. Bye-bye.